This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and thanks for joining us for your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're at Beeston Castle, one of the most spectacular medieval sites in England. The sixth Earl of Chester, when he started building Beeston in 1225, he wanted it to be a massive fortress. And originally, the walls were all painted white, so it really would have been a beacon in the landscape. We travel further back into time to witness a Bronze Age roundhouse being built here. In a very short space of time, these volunteers have got to get to grips with methods and construction techniques that would have been known for thousands of years and would have been inherited directly from previous generations. So we are learning from scratch, really. And we'll discover how the Roundhouse Project is helping bring prehistory to life. All of that in just a few moments with Kate Potter from Beeston Castle and Luke Winter, our specialist Roundhouse builder. But first, here's what we're building towards on future episodes of the English Heritage Podcast. Wall paintings as a genre go back ultimately into prehistory, and it's important to remember that what survives is the tiniest fraction of what once existed. They are much more fugitive and fragile than other forms of art which can be carried around It is the first uh, official plaque that's gone up to uh, Bob Marley by English Heritage. He's a global superstar, been described as the first superstar from the developing world. It's an amazing survival of an aristocratic townhouse. These kind of houses that used to be all over London and really Apsley House is the only surviving example of that. And it still sort of sits there in splendid isolation. And we have new episodes every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. Now, English heritage sites are very much about bringing history to life, especially prehistory, which we generally know less about. So it's perhaps all the more important to try to show, as far as possible, how ancient people lived. And that's exactly what experts are doing at Beeston Castle, as they prepare to reveal their interpretation of a Bronze Age roundhouse. So here I am in Cheshire, in the northwest of England. And I'm about to find out that there's more to the story behind these medieval ruined battlements than meets the eye. I'm first meeting Kate Potter. She's Beeston Castle's site manager. Hello, yes, I'm Kate. Welcome to Beeston Castle. Thank you very much. Where should we uh, go first? Let's uh, head through the centre and into the, the site itself. Okay, we'll try and negotiate uh, getting past this bus as well. Yeah, one of our school visits for the day is arriving. So we have about 7,000 school visits a year. So uh, we love welcoming the children to Beeston. Well, there are those children you were chatting about. They look like they're having fun already. So, yeah, this is Beeston Castle. We've got a bit of a walk to head up to the top. Do you want to head up there first? Okay, and you can tell me a little bit about your uh, job and... What do you actually do here as as site manager? I'm overall in charge of the visitor operations on site here. So I've got a team of about 15 historic property stewards. So on a day-to-day basis, we're welcoming visitors to the site, dealing with education visits. So we run staff-led discovery visits. Okay, and what's a discovery visit? A discovery visit is, it's like a workshop for the school. So they get to learn all about how life was like at Beeston. We do one that's called Fortress Castle. That's all about medieval life. They get to get hands-on, dress up, try to live and breathe what life was like. And then we also do one that's 
called the Prehistoric Settlers. And again, that's learning all about prehistory, what life was like, tools that were used, the different ages. And again, the children get to be really hands-on and they absolutely love it. So it's a bit like you've put on a little curriculum for school children. Absolutely. And they get to really immerse themselves in the history and so they go away absolutely loving Beeston. Do they get tired as they walk up to the top? Because we're walking up through, <laughs> surrounded by trees and yeah. almost like what could have been a river channel or something, but it's a, quite a steep slope with yeah. steps in between. So this and is, you know, one of the oldest um, pathways that would have taken you up to top of the castle. And we're just emerging at a corner here on the steps where we yeah, can... Yeah, this is often where people need to have a bit of a breather heading up the slope. <laughs> And this is where you sort of turn the corner and you get a real sense yeah. of how big the actual battlements are. Yeah, so here we've got the, the outer gatehouse. So we've got a massive dandelion and nettle outcrop and then behind that two giant walls. This is the first entrance to the castle, but this is also built on top of the old entrance to the Bronze Age and Iron Age hill fort. But that only was discovered maybe in the 1970s. Okay. So until that point, people didn't realise about Easton's prehistoric past. We just reached the uh, top of the entrance of the gatehouse area, Kate, that you just mentioned. We are surrounded by the giant stone walls, massive thick stone walls. So this is all made out of the sandstone. So that was all quarried from the site to build the castle, because obviously we're on the sandstone ridge here. And what is it that we're looking at right now with this giant bit of grey shooting up into the sky here? Yep, so this is one of the, the towers of the outer ward. And as mentioned, this is where the constable of the castle at any time would have lived. A constable? So the custodian of the castle. Okay. So a bit like what I do today. And who was the late last constable to have sort of overseen this? You don't know? Or? Not sure, but as I say, there is the record of Sir Ralph Vernon um, in the early 14th century. And there's an inscription that says about him having his budget for squires for the year, his bowmen, and he had to live here for the year looking after Beeston. I understand there might be a bit of a historical connection, not just between Ralph and this spot, but also with you and this spot as well. Yeah, well, it was quite odd. It was the first year that I started working here at Beeston, and my brother, who was researching our family history, visited me one day, and, and apparently Sir Ralph Vernon is my 26th times great-uncle. Wow. <laughs> I know, it was very bizarre. <laughs> that's, that's what history's come full circle there. I know, it was like, was I meant to come to Beeston? <laughs> I think it might have been written in your script in yeah. some sort of way. Right, right, now where are we going next? We need to go straight up this path? We or? can go straight up that path through the woods, or we can follow the outer curtain wall, which we'll go this way. Let's do the curtain wall, yeah, because then we get to get a real sense of the thickness of these walls as we walk past them. And they are mighty, aren't they? They are very mighty. Earl ran off the Sixth Earl of Chester, so when he started building Beeston in 1225, he wanted it to be a massive fortress, visible for everyone to see. And originally, the walls were all painted white um, with limestone on the outside. So oh, right. it really would have like been a beacon in the landscape. It's imposing from this side as we walk on the inside as well. Um, yeah. Because the walls are so tall, we're probably looking at you know, 15, 20 feet tall in places and other parts obviously are a lot lower where they've crumbled down. I think that's what makes it so magical for children because when they come here, for you know, people with little legs, it must be so immense to them. Yeah. 
if you're on the other side, if you were the enemy on the other side, you would think, well, I don't really want to mess with that wall. I think they really wouldn't have wanted to climb up the hill. No. Not in all their armour. No, and it's been a struggle for us too. <laughs> okay, well, let's see if we can get an elevated spot. We'll chat a little bit more about the, the wider geography and the landscape that we can see, because it's gradually starting to emerge yeah. as we um, get a little bit higher. And we are now at the top of the crag. Yeah, so this is what we call the inner ward. So I say this sits on top of, of Beeston Crag. And, and we can see everything, a 360 degree yeah. view pretty much, apart from behind us where we've just come through the archway. But that's almost like we're looking through a lens towards the landscape behind. Yeah, that peeking through there is uh, Staffordshire and Shropshire. So in total, you can see eight counties from the top of here. Wow. So obviously Cheshire. Got Wales over there. On the left-hand side, yeah, with our backs um, facing towards where we've just come through. And we've got Merseyside and Liverpool straight over in that direction. So that's so, kind of to the right of Wales. Yeah, and it's a bit <laughs> hazy today, but on a really, really clear day, you can see the two cathedrals of Liverpool. We've got the railway yeah, track so as well, going crew, left to right. Crew to Chester line. Those bunkers are very interesting. They were oil stores during World War II. And it's a beautiful landscape around here, I must say. Lots of pretty villages. Beeston, obviously, down at the foot of the hill, which is obviously how you get the castle name. Yeah. And nearby as well, there's a canal, I believe. Yeah, we've got the Shropshire Union Canal. So we get a lot of visitors who are on canal boat holidays. They walk up and come and see us. And as we do a 180 again, and we look back towards where we've come through for the archway, if we looked a little bit to the right, just beyond this sandstone wall, we can see another tower in the distance sitting in a green area of trees just resting on a hill what, what's that? that that is Peckfitton Castle it's not actually a very old castle it was built in the mid 1800s by Lord Tollymash Lord Tollymash owned Beeston at the time he was the one who built the Victorian ticket gate down at the bottom built the parameter wall that goes around and he wanted to build his own little pad that he could look out on the romantic ruins of Beeston what else have we got if we head down towards yeah, here down towards the left down. lots of uh, rocks underneath our feet as well. What are they from exactly? Well, this is the natural um, topography of the crag. Now we're going just a little bit downhill in towards what looks like a well. This well is the deepest well in England. So it's 130 metres deep. And there's still water in there? No water, no. There's lots of pennies and bits of stone now, I believe. Okay. But the last time anyone went down it would have been in the 1980s. But the real thing that people are fascinated about this well is there is the legend that Richard II buried his treasure when he was fleeing to Ireland and the treasure's never been found. Right, well, let's uh, climb onto the plateau of the crag. We'll grab your jumper because it's getting quite warm now, having done all that exercise. I know. Well, it is our medieval gym here. Your medieval gym. Yep. We have to watch our step because it is a little bit... Uh, uneven with all these natural rock formations sticking out you don't want, you don't want to trip and we're going down quite a steep concrete modern structure with handrails down the side yeah this, this must be about 45 degrees um it is quite steep this was built in 1975 as the main access into the top top of the inner ward and we're sort of going over what might have been not a moat but some mm. sort of defensive fortification yeah this was the ditch so this was dug out to build the castle but it's not officially a moat because there was never any water in it. It's very, very deep. You must be looking at about, what, 60 to 80 feet, I would say? Yeah. 
So you'd really struggle to try and climb up there. It'd probably be impossible. Okay, let's go back in time a little bit further because yeah. obviously we've just left the medieval zone, so to speak. Well, there's the visible medieval zone, yep. but we've got to remember that before the medieval castle was built, people have been living on this crag for 4,000 years. So with every step, we are going a little bit further back towards the Bronze Age. Yeah. First there was a Bronze Age hill fort, and then there was an Iron Age hill fort. And people lived on top of the crag, and we have evidence of a cluster of Bronze Age, late Bronze Age roundhouses. So we might head over to where those were. Just out of interest, we've got a nice, long, big, flat piece here. This is actually um, left over from the archaeological excavations they did in the late 70s and 80s. And this is when they discovered the post holes for the roundhouses. So we're standing where they would have done the dig? Yes, yeah. And is it flat because they've left it flat having dug it up? Yes. This brings us, of course, to the main subject of our visit, which is the Bronze Age roundhouse, which is currently being built. And what was the thinking behind focusing on the site's earliest history and then obviously to go and build a roundhouse to depict that? Well, I think when you visit Beeston, the medieval story is, is obviously very focused. So for me, building the roundhouse really brings the story of Beeston's prehistory to life. It's a story that we haven't really told before. And also, in that sense, it's been very much an education beacon project as well. So for schools, we can focus on the site's earlier history. We can expand our prehistoric settlers' discovery visit as well, so we can use the roundhouse for that. And generally, for people who are visiting, they can benefit from being hosted a more prehistoric story. It's a site with very many historical layers. You go up to the top of the crag, and you've got very much the very ancient stone formations before yep. any settlers came here at all. Then you have the arrival of people and settling on the top and then settling down in where we're sitting now. There are so many multiple layers of time as you sort of go up and down the hill. It's almost like you're time travelling. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's one of my things I absolutely love about Beeston, having that 4,000 years of human history here. And that's quite unique. There's not many sites that have that. And also getting the view at the top. Of course. Now, talking about the Roundhouse, how did you get the idea to build something that would tell the story to future visitors and how do you go about finding someone to build you an authentic looking Bronze <laughs> Age roundhouse? So Luke Winter from Historic Concepts who's designed it and leading the volunteers in building it he put a proposal in for the project and it was successful due to his portfolio of delivering similar projects to a really high standard so he, What else has he done? He designed the Neolithic huts at Stonehenge but again, they would have been designed on archaeological evidence, like our one here. Our one here is being based on roundhouse number six that was found here. And how long has this project been in the pipeline? You've The project itself has been from concept from January 2017. So there's been a lot of work and planning, and now we're in the actual construction stage. What we'll do, we'll walk down there now. So we'll walk down through the woods. So it's just down in the quarry area. So I'll hand you over to Luke from Historic Concepts. So we are standing at the edge of the 
perimeter of where the roundhouse sits on a slightly elevated position looking into the quarried area yes. where your roundhouse is being built. We've got lots of hivers, jackets and helmets and uh, almost looks like a scene from Fraggle Rock. <laughs> little, little, little dozers sort of um, doing, doing their jobs. Um, First of all, how did you get involved in this project to build a Bronze Age roundhouse at Beeston Castle? Well, I was asked by English Heritage to, to look at the site and see if there was anything that we could do to encourage visitor participation and volunteer participation and to sort of improve the prehistoric interpretation of the site because obviously the site is very medieval. There's a huge castle on the hilltop, but the sort of precursor to that is, is this incredible story of the prehistory of Beeston. I understand there's an archaeological dig further up the hill where... That discoveries were made? That was the starting point for this building, was looking at the evidence from that excavation. And in that excavation, they, they looked at various post holes, or many post holes excavated, which seemed to outline buildings of various sizes and shapes. So I looked at the evidence for the best preserved building, Building 6, and this is the sort of interpretation of that evidence. How authentic do you think your build will be by the end? In terms of materials and techniques, very authentic. So we've used bronze axes and adzes and chisels for all of the key locations on the, on the building so we know exactly what is possible with the authentic tools. We've then used steel axes to sort of speed up the process in places but there's nothing here that wouldn't have been possible in the Bronze Age. And also I've looked at evidence that predates the Bronze Age. Ironically there's better evidence for carpentry from the Neolithic than there is from, from the Bronze Age period at the moment. So in terms of detail it's about as good as we can understand it at the moment. That's not to say it might not have been more refined. Well, shall we head up a little bit further and yeah. see if we can get a greater vantage point and see if we can see what else is going on in terms of the uh, topography yeah. as well. <laughs> Try not to slip as I... Pretty steep, yeah. It is pretty steep up here. How did you get involved in being a sort of archaeologist who reconstructs buildings from the past? My story is long and varied, but it began many, many years ago as an undergraduate at Sheffield University. This is in the days when you couldn't study experimental archaeology. You just had to sort of weave your path through to it. I became really interested in experimental archaeology, and actually particularly with human cognition and the way the brain develops in relation to stone tools. So my early experimentations were on production of early tools and their use and from there I then began to construct things and I then managed a centre in Dorset called the Ancient Technology Centre for 15 years where we built a whole range of structures using actually mostly children as our workforce. It was an educational centre and we built enormous Viking longhouses and huge roundhouses and so through that sort of long-term job I did a lot of research, a lot of manual construction and design and that really led me to the stage of, I've, I would never class myself as a Bronze Age expert. I am actually a jack of all trades in terms of prehistory, but I've done a lot of different projects with a lot of different tool types and a lot of different materials. So it gives me a unique insight. A jack of all historic trades, you could say. <laughs> Absolutely. An artisan of time. <laughs> That's much better. Can I use that? We're going to put that on your business card. <laughs> In the past, of course, I'm assuming people would have been a lot fitter and a lot more nimble than we are and used to building these structures. And that's really the main point is that we are, as you've said correctly, we're retro-engineering these things. 
in a very short space of time, these volunteers have got to get to grips with methods and construction techniques that would have been known for thousands of years and would have been inherited directly from previous generations. So we are learning from scratch, really. So it's a long process, it's a bit of an experiment, mm. you've done a lot of research, I mean, just to even get to this yes, point, absolutely. and I say point where we look at the apex there of all the timbers gathering at the mm. centre of that cone shape, how quickly would a Bronze Age roundhouse have been built in the past? <laughs> Do we have any idea? Okay, so this is, this is my, having built many buildings over the years, this is my guess, but I'm not saying this is true, okay, so this is a guess, but I think if you had a Bronze Age house building expert here now, they would be roughly four or five times faster than we are with the same tools and the same techniques because this process to build this house is of course just a huge learning curve they're having to adapt to completely new methods new materials new tools by the time this is finished if we then let them loose on another building at exactly the same time i think they would be at least three times faster at what point in time do roundhouses become replaced with more permanent accommodation? And how long do roundhouses last in Britain before other types of design come in? First of all, I think, I think there's a common misconception that roundhouses sort of predate rectangular buildings and square buildings, and that's not the case. What's really interesting and what makes them particularly fascinating is that if you look at the Neolithic period, so, you know, 10,000 years ago and later, Buildings actually start off in a whole range of shapes, but the first formal buildings, things that we would class as farmhouses, are rectangular and long, and they have corners, and they're built with enormous timbers. Like the Viking longhouses? Essentially, and actually you can see the common root of Viking longhouses and even medieval long halls in early Neolithic farmhouses. So the first permanent, we're staying put, we're farming this land, buildings, are actually rectangular and quite enormous, up to 50 metres long, some of them. What then gets very strange is that thousands of years into the agricultural process, where we're really familiar with it and really refined it, in some areas buildings start to become round. And that lasts for several thousand years in places, and then whatever the meaning is for these round buildings then changes and buildings become square and rectangular again. So it is a sort of a punctuation in a building tradition. Why people are turning to round buildings for me is a really interesting question and again being a functionalist we could look at the way forests are being managed and coppice products are becoming a really big thing and actually maybe that suits a particular type of construction based on round buildings but I honestly think it's more than that. I do think there's something meaningful behind it, but I am not going to begin to suggest what that might be. Well, some mysteries are best left <laughs> unsaid, and we'll leave it to future historians to uh, interpret, and maybe they can dig up some evidence at absolutely, some point. Absolutely, absolutely. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Beeston Castle and the Bronze Age Roundhouse Project, just head to the Beeston Castle page on the English Heritage website. We're back next week. Until then, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. See you next time.